0: Hello and welcome to our latest edition of the 66 to 87 podcast here on the EK Sports Podcasting Network. I'm Tom Reed, joined as always by Dave Molinari and a little bit later where we will have Andrew Gross from Newsday. Uh, he'll be in the third segment. Uh, Andrew has, uh, we'll get into a little bit later. Also, he's got some podcasts uh, that he, we're going to put out there for him regarding the death of the, the great Clark Gillies. Uh, he uh, in part of that, part of one of them. He in, interviewed former uh, Penguins Stanley Cup winner Brian Trottier. So we want to alert you to go ahead and give that a listen. You never, sure, there's still a lot of Trottier fans here in Pittsburgh, and that's on the Newsday site. Go to the Islanders; you'll find it, no problem. Uh, but Dave, right now, what I want to talk about is uh, this team is. We're, we're recording this on Friday afternoon. And this team is kind of in a three-way tie for first place uh, in the Metropolitan Division. It's been a slow, steady climb with the way this team has been playing. Uh, Their loss, again, overtime loss against the Kraken notwithstanding. It's been a very good run. And I want to go back to the offseason. Right after the, the team loses to the Islanders in six games in the first round. And that whole summer, Dave, not a lot happened, at least for for a lot of fans. There, 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 there was a lot of thinking. Like they need to get someone in here to challenge Jari, uh, given how shocking his his collapse of form was in in, in the in the playoffs. Uh, they see Jared McCann leave. They see Brandon Tanif leave. Uh, they're signing Evan Rodriguez. What what what, what that, What's that going to do? They're going to sign Evan Rodriguez for another year. Uh, they bring in Brock McGinn. Uh, they're not quite sure who this Brock McGinn is. Yes, he's he's, he's like a steady third liner. Uh, Danton Heinen. And the, I don't think there was a lot of positive vibes in the offseason about this team and what it was doing and what its objective were and how were they going to. Uh, how are they going to make it through the stretch where we already knew there wasn't going to be Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin at the beginning of the season? And yet, lo and behold, we're sitting here and this team is in great position uh, to reach the playoffs again. And I just want to go back and your thoughts on, on, on how does management deserve a pat on the back for the fact is, look, we knew what we were doing here.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to dispute almost anything they did. I mean, you can possibly argue that uh, they shouldn't have traded McCann or that sure. they should have uh, protected Tanov, which is, was the case with me. Um, I, I wouldn't have exposed Tanov in the expansion draft, but um, you know, with, with the, you yeah. know, The the people that they brought in, it's hard to find uh, any real flaws in them. And, you know, most GMs, if not all GMs, uh, tend to be a little more patient than fans who want to see moves made or not just fans, but media members who want to see major changes, uh, but don't have to deal with the repercussions of uh, those changes or, you know, take into account things like salary cap hits and and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, um, Brian – or not – you know, Ron Hextall. You said Brian Hextall? And, uh, yeah. Uh, some of our roots uh, in this game go back. Uh, they run pretty deep. Uh, Ron Hextall and uh, Brian Burke, uh, I think, in general exercised patience some of it uh forced on them by the salary cap sure but uh you know they they didn't uh, make any radical moves uh Hextall as an ex-NHL goaltender of some renown uh obviously saw qualities in, in Jari that made him think that his uh his body of work outside of the playoffs uh you know merited sticking with him despite his uh implosion uh during the islander series and you know to this point uh his confidence in jari certainly has been rewarded now you know we won't pass final judgment on on jari until we see him in another playoff series but that's a few months down the road so you know to this point uh it's hard to find too terribly much wrong with the things management has done since the end of last season
0: and it is weird how how perceptions can change in just a matter of four or five months at the time we're thinking they've got no problem with their backup. Casey dismisses a solid backup and Jari's the one we have to worry about. And now six months down the road, you know, I'm sure the penguins fans are like, well, what about the backup goalie? You know, what, what are we going to do here? Uh, It is it amazing how things change. You know, Brock McGinn was a kind of a, this, he was their big signing and people were like, who's Brock McGinn? He's he's like a third liner on a on a really good team and yet Dave he's sitting here again we're recording on Friday the man has 10 goals there's only a few guys ahead of him on this team and oh one of them is Evan Rodriguez who they signed to a one year deal in the offseason thinking what do we still need Evan Rodriguez around for uh let's take those separately what have you been your thoughts on on McGinn's contribution to this team
1: uh he is Far exceeded my expectations for him. Yeah. You know, he wasn't a high profile guy with the Hurricanes. Um, I, th- I think he's been a, a more conspicuous presence uh, with the Penguins than, than he was in Carolina. Uh, certainly, I did not appreciate his value. I think he's been a more than adequate replacement for, for Tanev, uh, even though they're very different players. Um I I think that he has filled that void uh, more than capably. Uh, I I'm very impressed with him, and just the the solid two way game that he plays uh, to this point.
0: Yeah, uh, Rodriguez.
1: Well, I mean it's it's pretty clear with him that that what they signed him for was everything. You know he he plays all three forward positions. He'll play on your first line, your fourth line, and the lines in between. Uh, he embodies the versatility that, that Mike Sullivan prizes uh, so much. Uh, You know, he has uh, run into a bit of a scoring drought lately, but he, he was not brought, uh, brought back necessarily for his point production. He's just, you know, a a great fill in for, for any void that, that appears in your lineup And, and heaven knows there have been voids appearing all over the Penguins lineup to this point of the season.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, again, Denton Heinen, we, we mentioned him as well, but I, I do want to move on here. Uh, the other news of this week, of course, is uh, uh, to talking about guys that have been brought in in recent times. Uh, we, we And we've talked about this many times over that when Jeff Carter was brought here near the deadline last year, people were like, Oh my goodness so that's that's it. that's that's that they're bringing in a 35 36 year old player who really has kind of been on the downside of his career and yet he's been nothing but terrific here. Uh, signed a two- year deal uh, 3.125 million per season. Uh, he turned 37 on January 1st. Dave, what do you think about the move and what do you think this signals as far as uh, the attempt to maybe keep this core core group together?
1: Well, I, I think it makes it clear that that's Ron Hextall's intention, you know, whether he'll actually be able to pull it off remains to be seen. You know, he's going to have to resign Letang and, uh, Malkin and Brian Ross and Evan Rodriguez. Um, you know, there's only going to be so much around money to go around. So I don't know that, uh he will be able to keep the entire band together i in fact i think it's safe to assume that he won't uh but that clearly you know making that kind of commitment to a guy who's 37 years old indicates that that's what hextall would like to do and you know there's definitely an element of risk in in committing a decent chunk of cap space not not an overwhelming one by any means and not an unreasonable amount but to a guy his age because you know you can only be effective at this level for so long and it's not necessarily like you get a 6 month or 1 year warning <laughs> that the end is near sometimes guys you know hit hit the effective end of their career and and just drop off a cliff we you know certainly we don't know whether that's uh, going to happen with Jeff Carter but it's not a a possibility that, that should be overlooked.
0: Yeah. Uh, So far so good though. Again, another, a good move by management to bring him in. He's been a good contributor and the Penguins can only hope that he's as good in the playoffs uh, this coming year as he was last year. I thought he was their best forward. All right. We're just getting started here on the 66 to 87 podcast. Um, we still have Andrew Gross from uh, Newsday to kind of talk about the t- a couple of teams we've barely seen this year in New York. But there's a, certainly there uh the Islanders have been a, a surprise in, in, in a bad way. Uh, but we'll get into all that and a lot more coming up on the 66 to 87 podcast. Welcome back to the sixty-six to eighty-seven podcast, um, Dave. Uh, we're recording again. We're recording this on Friday, and I want to make, make this mention right now, in, because the Penguins are playing played on Friday night, they played the Red Wings, and maybe there's a chance that Sidney Crosby will have reached the five hundred goal plateau. He started the day at four ninety seven, and the way he's been playing lately, you wouldn't put it past him. I will make this admission, in, and I don't know how this makes me look as a supposedly someone who follows hockey. When someone said that Crosby was at approaching 500 goals, part of me was like, "Wow, I, already, I always thought he was there." And then I thought more about it, and I thought, when I think of Sidney Crosby, there are some players I think of defined by numbers. There, there are guys that are just. Like, when I think of Gretzky, I, I think of. Uh, guys like Mike Gardner, great goal scorers, Ovechkin, I, I know, kind of know where he is. Cros- Crosby's greatness to me has never been defined by numbers. Uh, obviously, it's nice to have numbers, and it's, it makes an argument when a player is a borderline Hall of Famer, which, of course, that's not going to be a he's, – he's nowhere near a borderline. But I just don't see Sidney Crosby in numbers. I just think of him as just such great play all over the ice – uh, that's to me the defining qualities of of him and rising to moments uh, through throughout much of his career. More the more than he is the twenty seventh leading scorer and the third active leading scorer.
1: Yeah, um, you're you're right. His total game is so impressive that it it can obscure numbers. There, certainly, you know, he has scored some goals that stand out. I think uh, to the everlasting regret of. Uh, U.S. fans, you know there was yes. the uh, golden goal he scored for Canada in the the 2010 Olympics, uh, and obviously he's in the top 50 goal scorers of of all time in the NHL, which is a uh, no small feat. But there's no way to quantify uh, so many of the things that make him special. You you know how do you put numbers on? His anticipation, his hockey IQ, his ability to read plays—you know those translate to numbers ultimately. Uh, you know you score goals or set up goals because of of you know your vision and and, and your hockey sense. But you know so many uh, you know those qualities you you just can't hang statistics on.
0: It- it, it, this we had a, had a conversation this this past week with Aaron Portsline. He was writing a he did a story, a nice story on on Brandon Dubinsky. Uh, he got Dubinsky to kind of talk about the end of his career. And within that conversation, uh, the, the the podcast that I'm sure Penguin fans remember, when Dubinsky coming out and saying he would take uh, Ovechkin over Crosby, you know. I can't, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but he would just take him. He thought he was a better player, and and I love Brandon Dubinsky. I probably even shouldn't say that on a Pittsburgh podcast. I do love him, but he's full of shit. Uh, there's no, no way I would take uh, Alexander Ovechkin as great as he is, uh, but, but to me, he... He does not do what Sidney Crosby does as far as just the overall game, the defending, uh, the the work in his own zone, the the ability to create open ice for other players. Uh, as you mentioned, the anticipation skills, the the three Stanley Cups. I guess we are quantifying something here. Uh, but I just when that when that when that uh, debate comes up, I always think, man, he is a Ovi is a great player. But I, there's no way I'm taking him over Sid.
1: Oh, I, I mean, I think that comment tells you a lot more about Demins, uh, Dubinsky's personal animosity yes. toward Crosby than, Absolutely. It, than it does about his actual assessment of, you know, their respective abilities. If I want somebody to score a power play goal from the left circle, <laughs> uh, i probably take Ovechkin. But if I'm looking for the more complete hockey player, you know, Crosby <laughs> is a, is a hands-down choice. I mean, there's not even a discussion to be had. And I, I say that uh, acknowledging that, that Ovechkin is the greatest goal scorer of his generation and will go down as one of the greatest in hockey history. Uh, there's, there's no disputing that by, you know, any objective assessment. He's, he's fantastic, uh, at at that aspect of the game, but, but Crosby is awfully, awfully good at every aspect of the game. I suspect that if the Penguins ever needed an emergency goaltender, they could stick him in and he would do a credible job. (laughs) Uh, he was just born to play hockey. and you know, it's not even so much that he is some great genetic specimen, you know, yeah. I, and uh, the ultimate example of that, I think, is Mario Lemieux, who was just, you know, a, a perfect physical specimen to, to play the game. I think a lot of what Crosby has accomplished is a reflection of, of the time and hard work that he has invested in his craft um i think uh if he had approached his his work the way a, a typical player does he would have been a very very good player um as it is uh because of yeah. the commitment he made you know he turned himself into one of the all-time greats and uh one that yeah. uh with all due respect to uh Dubinsky i would uh, certainly take ahead of Alex Ovechkin <laughs>
0: yeah me too yeah it is amazing you you talk about two of the five six seven greatest hockey players uh, both in that vein of not being the biggest fastest or whatever you want to call it with Gretzky and 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 Crosby and yet there they are is you know unquestionably in the top 10 and and it may end up being in the top five Sid when it when it comes right down to it all right let's move on it's a different type of topic uh something that also made news this week Uh teddy bluger out uh six to eight weeks i believe with a broken jaw on, on a on a hit day to me by brendan Dillon, that i i i have no skin in the game as far as being a, a penguin fan I, I could not believe there was no supplement first of all there was no penalty on the play but that's okay. You can sometimes officials on the ice miss calls. It happens. You hate to see guys miss calls, but sometimes calls get missed. That's why there is the eye in the sky, something the, the the czar of discipline in this case, George Paros, who should look at that and say that deserves something. And he didn't even get as much of a fine. Am I correct on that? There was not even a fine for that hit. He, uh, as far as uh, I know, he
1: didn't even get an email of reprimand for that. Uh, Pretty unthinkable, (laughs) Uh, you know, or at least it would be in a normal league. And, you know, in the NHL, it's pretty much status quo where you never know what uh, you're going to get when they uh, break out the supplemental discipline dartboard. Um, You know. Yeah. Why, Why this league it's it, and, and tolerate headshots is is inexplicable, and you just hope that uh, the worst that you see happen is that a guy will be concussed or have his jaw broken, and that you, we don't uh, get the day that somebody is removed from the ice in a body
0: bag. It's and you know this is the same week in which we have. Uh, you know, the league stepping in and, and suspending Aaron Dell, the goaltender in Buffalo, for his hit on all-star Drake Batherson, which I completely agree with. It's a, it was a cheap kind of play. It was a dangerous play. But I, it was no more dangerous than uh, Dylan's hit. I mean, it. we talk about this off the air. There are times, and I, I do have a bit of, you know, that the job is not necessarily easy. Um, but this was a situation where Teddy Bluger does not lower his head, does not turn his body in any way to where he exposes himself or again, lowers his head where, where Dylan would have had to change his way. He was going to hit him. He just hits him right in the jaw. Yeah. And, you know, drive a guy
1: into the glass from behind like that, you know, it's, it, it, you know, the, it, it seems like, The only thing that the laughably named Department of Player Safety should have been assessing was precisely how severe the suspension for Dylan should have been, you know, not not whether he should be fined or, you know, how much uh, the fine should be. It's why there is so little disregard or so little regard for, you know, the, the safety of players, you know, you could suffer a, a crippling injury, you know, from a blow to the head. Why there is anything other than a zero, poly, zero tolerance policy for that sort of thing escapes me.
0: Yeah, well said. All right. When we come back, we will be joined uh, by Andrew Gross. Uh, As as we mentioned earlier, Andrew uh, did a couple of podcasts this week uh, in in tribute to the late uh, Clark Gillies. One of them includes Brian Trottier, uh, former two-time champion, uh, with the Penguins. If you want to listen to it, just go on to the Newsday website, go to the Islanders page, and you'll you'll find the podcast very easily. All right. When we come back, we'll have Andrew on the 66-87 podcast. Welcome back to the sixty-six to eighty-seven podcast, and now, as promised, being joined by Andrew Gross from Newsday. We're going to talk a little New York hockey. It's a weird year. Uh, it's a weird scheduling year. The the uh, the Penguins have only played the Islanders once to this point. They've only they've not played the Rangers at all. And last year, of course, with all divisional play, it was like every other couple of days. Uh, it seemed like uh, the Penguins were playing a New York team. Um, but I think one of the biggest surprises of this season to this point has been the Islanders and just there uh, from almost the beginning of the year, just between playing on the road for 13 games, having 11 game road lo- or 11 game losing streak to injuries, to illness. They just haven't been able to get going. Andrew, this was a team that a lot of people when they picked their top eight in the conference, there was no hesitancy putting the Islanders in there, given their Playoff, uh, how well they've done in the playoffs the last few years. How do you, how do you put this season into perspective?
2: Yeah, I'll go one further. I know uh, not only myself but other people, and we asked Barry Trotz and the players about it before the season. They didn't shy away from it. But after you, you know, you get to the NHL semifinals twice, you lose once in Game Six, and then last year in Game Seven. Uh, to the eventual Stanley cup champions, this season was really Stanley cup or bust for this franchise. And it's really starting to look like bust. Um, you know, I think last night was a, uh, uh, you know, kind of a tough loss for them. They lose three, two to the Kings and they just can't beat playoff contenders. Um, Against teams uh, now in a playoff spot, or who were in a playoff spot as of last night's game, the Islanders are only 2-13-2, and mm. they've been outscored in those games, if I'm doing my math correctly. 58 to 26 so they they haven't competed with the elite teams in the nhl this season it has been a very strange season Uh, you start with a 13 game road trip which on paper is very daunting but the way the league did it they really broke it up so it was uh you know uh, probably three or four separate road trips Uh, i'm trying to remember back i think it was four separate road trips within that uh, mm-hmm. The biggest block was a six game uh, trip to start the season. But the, the flip side of that was the Islanders had way too much time off uh, at the beginning of the season, both scheduled. They had was at one game in, in, in 10 days uh, scheduled during that 13 game road trip. And then another uh, span when they only had one game in seven days. And then, Because of the COVID-19 outbreak uh, that the team went through starting in mid-November and the NHL finally started postponing some of their games as a result. First, they were forced to play through basically a hybrid NHL-AHL roster for a long Mm -hmm. time and then Uh, The game started getting postponed, Um, I I think, over a span of 25 days. They wound up playing just four games, uh, December through January. Um, Barry Trotz said it it felt at times like the Islanders weren't even part of the NHL. He said he felt like a a college coach, where the, the teams would just, you know, maybe practice a little bit and then play on the weekends. And he said that that was probably the more difficult part. Um, But now now there are no excuses because they're playing regularly. They have everyone back in their lineup except for a top pair defenseman Ryan Pulak, who is a big absence. But still, you know, every team has to go through injuries. The Penguins survived without Evgeny Malkin. Uh, for an example, and the Islanders just have gotten no traction, and and it's starting. You you you're really questioning at this point whether they can make a playoff push, even though they have a lot of games in hand still.
1: Andrew, how much of the issue is their lackluster play at the new arena, where they really haven't established any kind of home ice advantage yet, and is that a surprise or is that to be expected? when a, a team uh, is adjusting to a new facility i
2: i i think it's more their inability to to like i said compete against the better teams in the league or to get points against the bigger teams uh, the better teams in the league uh at one point they had a stretch at UBS where i think they were 7-1 one, and 1 uh they might be now 8-2 and 1 the stretches something like that Uh, They they've won games at home. They started winning games home with with regularity. It was at the start where I think they lost their first five game home game, uh, first five games in the new building. And, you know, again, that was when they were really dressing, uh, you know, a hybrid NHL, AHL roster. And they just, uh, they just couldn't compete at that point. I, 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 you know, I, I don't necessarily think it's the home ice that that is the issue. I think it's the team as a, as in general. They 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 look a step slow at times. They they don't transport the puck up the ice very well. Um back-to-back off seasons, losing puck moving defensemen, Devontae's and Nick Letty is really starting to uh take a toll on the team. Uh so, right, you know, it, it, they just they just don't really generate – they're not a dangerous team. Um, so they, they play all these one-goal games, and their margin for error is so <laughs> slim that, like, for instance, last night the Kings are, you know, are a, capital, a capitalistic team. And uh, a couple of really – I don't want to say nothing shots, but close to nothing shots get past Semyon Varlamov and that's the difference in the game. Um, so the Islanders have no margin for error, and they're just—they're just not fast enough and good enough up the ice to uh, to to stay with some of these better teams right now.
1: How has uh, Anders Lee played coming off the uh, ACL surgery?
2: He's—he's he's played reasonably well. At one point, he had six goals in an eight-game span. Um, he's back to, you know, what I think people expect him to be. Uh, the issue, a, a bigger issue on the whole is, uh, Barry Trotz likes playing Anders Lee with Matthew Barzell. And he just really hasn't settled on a, uh, on a right wing for that line to replace Jordan Eberle, who the Islanders are going to see on Saturday, uh, taken in the expansion draft by the Seattle Kraken. And, uh, he just, uh, doesn't have his top line trio settled and it sort of has trinkled through the, uh, uh, the the rest of the lineup, um, where where he's just he's still, you know we're in we're in late January we're talking about the All Star break and and Barry Trotz is still not set with his lines.
0: Yeah, Andrew, one of the things that's always uh, when I think about the Islanders, I, I they to me they they they're, they're a better I don't know if this makes sense they are a better playoff team than they are a regular season team. They are built for the playoffs as opposed to going into a building, playing once, moving on, playing another opponent. Uh, but do you, first of all, do you agree with that? And if you do, it just seems like it is going to be so hard for this team, uh, the way that they're built and the way that they play, to really gain a, enough traction to, to get up back up into a playoff spot.
2: Yeah. No, I, I agree on both points. Uh, the Islanders, even – the last two seasons when they uh, they made it to the NHL semifinals and they had great playoff runs and they looked very, you know, certainly towards the latter end of that first round series against the Penguins and towards the latter end of that second round series against the uh, Bruins, they, they looked dominant at times. Um, and I think there's something to it, you know, the repetition. Uh, you know, they grind teams down. Uh, But if you look at at both of the last seasons, uh, they went through big struggles in both seasons and uh, uh, certainly the season that got truncated, uh, you know, uh, paused because of COVID two seasons ago before they went up into the bubble. Uh, you know, there was some question. The Islanders lost their last seven straight going into the pause. There was some question if the season had restarted, whether they would have been able to make the playoffs at all. And, uh, you know, last season, sort of the same deal. They they weren't, you know, they weren't always uh, through the, uh, you know, the shortened season. They weren't always at the top of their game. But as soon as the playoffs started, the goaltending and the defense kind of clamped down. And they grind teams down, as I said. So uh, I, I I agree with you completely on that. And as far as getting back or or, or having a chance at making the playoffs, look, I I, I you never say never. Uh, I mean, I think the St. Louis Blues taught us that. But yeah, I, it, the 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 Islanders are gonna have to play. They're they're still at five hundred here. They're gonna have to play you know, 700 hockey the rest of the way. And, and there's nothing so far that's indicated they're going to be able to do that. But even if they play at that rate, which which of the eight playoff teams in the Eastern Conference are, are, can they beat out for a spot? Who's falling off? I mean, the Bruins, you know, they get Tuka Rask back. I know they've been a low up and down, um, but at times the Bruins have looked like the best team in the league. Uh, The Penguins certainly show no signs of slowing down. Uh, I I don't think they get beat out for a playoff spot. Uh, You know, and then you also have the Capitals, the Rangers, uh, you know, uh, and the the Carolina Hurricanes, who at times look like the best team. And then in, in the Atlantic Division, I don't think either of those Florida teams are going anywhere. The Florida Panthers could win a Stanley Cup this year. And so could the Tampa Bay Lightning. And and for that matter, you know, I, I know that this is sacrilege, but the Toronto Maple Leafs maybe can. Uh, so I don't think any of those three teams are going anywhere. And you, and then you throw Boston in the mix as well. So even if the play, uh, Islanders are playing, uh, you know, 700 or above, any one of those eight teams just, you know, they just have to go 500 really the rest of the way and they're going to beat out the islanders so it's it's a very much an uphill climb here for this team. Uh, two questions and we'll get you out of
0: here. Um first question uh the penguins have not even seen the rangers but as of right now uh, that would be the first round matchup and there's there's a chance that that could be the case. I know you you your focus is on the islanders but just your thoughts on the rangers season this year uh although they were dealt a pretty uh maybe potentially a, a bad blow on Thursday night in Columbus with Adam Fox
2: leading the game. Uh, but, but your just,
0: your general thoughts on that team.
2: Yeah. I, I to me, it's not incredibly surprising because that's Gerard Gallant's MO, right? He goes into a place and he kind of organizes and gets it turned around pretty quickly. Uh, you know, where, where he's gone, certainly, you know, look at what he did in Vegas, but you know, even in his, previous stop in florida uh he was good right off the uh, the get-go if i remember and look chris drury taking over for john davidson and jeff Gordon, uh he had a mandate and he you know we had a plan which was to 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 change the culture and and to change this team from a team that had many talented pieces but Often didn't want to engage physically and much preferred like uh, an east-west sort of game, which you can't really thrive in in the NHL for too long. And and Jury, Jury, and Gallant have gotten this team going north and south much much more. Um, they've gotten good goaltending from from both guys. Just when he's healthy, which really is the big question of the franchise at this point and, and Georgiev, um who I think still would prefer to be a number one goalie somewhere else but for now is you know I know he kind of the, the 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 Rangers really got you know roughed up in in Columbus the other night and Georgiev was in goal so he, uh, Shesterkin could have the net uh for Henrik Lundqvist night tonight against the Minnesota Wild and Camp Talbot but uh I I don't see the Rangers going anywhere. I, 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 you know, the intangibles that Ryan Reeves has thrown into this organization. uh, I think, you know, for this season is is huge, but, and they, you know, we'll see how bad the Adam Fox injury is. I I, I thought I heard it might be a wrist issue. The Rangers were sort of downplaying it after the game last night, um, but we'll, you know, teams, tend to do that and then uh, we'll see how long Adam Fox is, is is out but obviously you know that's a a, a crucial piece uh you know he's uh, obviously their best defenseman um and uh, you know the uh, a real reason when 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 an organization has you know young defensemen like that and and the and the rangers have a bunch of really good young defensemen that set you up sets you up for success so well their, their their depth will be tested i know they've had an issue on the third pair all season and now with fox out at least for the short term uh that gets stretched even thinner so that will be an issue but uh you know well again you know even if they just play 500 hockey the rest of the way that they, they they should cruise into a playoff spot
1: and andrew since you covered the rangers in a previous life and uh, the Lundqvist uh, number retirement uh, ceremony uh, taking place Friday. What was his impact on the Rangers, and where would you place him in in the post Brodeur era of goaltenders with guys like Carey Price and Marc-Andre Fleury?
2: You know, I I always I mean obviously I saw this guy every day and I don't just mean on the ice I, I I saw him every day off the ice, and the way he acted off the ice almost elevated what he did on the ice because I mean you guys know for for the media Henrik Lundqvist was amazing. Um, you, you have this star goalie who literally talked every day and not just you know in short clip answers but he gave thoughtful, long answers. He was accessible. Uh, He was friendly. Um, You know, he was just an all-around good dude. I mean, the strongest competitor, you know, I I think I've I've covered. I mean, just an intense competitor, but he didn't let those frustrations bleed into, uh, you know, how he treated other people. Uh, On the ice, look, the other guys – have won Stanley cups. Right. Um, and I think that's really the only mark against Henrik Lundqvist is for as good as he got the Rangers to be. And there were a couple of close calls in 2012 uh, that the, the Rangers were just beat up. And at the end of the rope and the devils beat them. And uh, I think it was what, six games in that uh, Eastern conference, uh, uh final. Um, but that might've been, you know, that was a really, really good team. That was certainly John Tortorella's best team with the Rangers. Um, then 2014, Elaine Vigneault's first season, uh, Hank really backstopped a team um, to the Stanley Cup final. And uh, I was talking to Kevin Weeks about this yesterday. In that Cup final, it, it was just, you know, the Rangers came up against a goalie who was playing as good as, as Hank was and Jonathan quick and against a, a, a team that was just at a different level in the Kings, they found their game. And as weeks, he said, you know, uh, the Rangers just never found their game that series, but, but Hank was incredible in that series. And then the Rangers best team with Hank was probably the next season, the, uh, uh, the 2015 uh, and they lose to uh, the lightning. Uh, game seven at Madison Square Garden uh, in the Eastern Conference final. That was probably, uh, that was definitely the, the the Rangers' best team. So where do I put him? I mean, the fact that he didn't win a Stanley Cup puts him, you know, just a slight notch. I think under Marc-Andre Fleury, um, everyone, you know, uh, carry Price is obviously just an incredible goalie. And I think most goalie experts would agree that just slightly, a little bit more talented than Henrik Lundqvist. Um, and you know, but uh, again, talking to Kevin Weeks the other day, and 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 Kevin was Henrik Lundqvist goalie partner, uh, Hank's rookie season with the uh, with the Rangers. Uh, Weeksie called Henrik's technique and the way he presented himself to shooters. Uh, uh, Kevin just said it was all different. Uh, the way he positioned his pads, the way he positioned his body, um, what the, the shooters were looking at. Uh, Kevin Weeks was saying technically shooters were were so confused by that. They had never really seen a goalie present himself like that. And then you go with Henrik's really blinding speed at the at the start of the career Uh, His lateral movement, uh, which Weeksy pointed out, happened without him lifting a skate, which was a huge advantage. And uh, uh, Weeksy called him like a goalie 2.0, really, at the start of his career in terms of his technical ability. He was just a step above everybody else.
1: Well, I'm sure Carey Price appreciates you awarding him a Stanley Cup, which... He also no, hasn't no, 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 this... no, no,
2: no. I, I, I didn't <laughs> say that. I did not say that. I said Flurry won a, a Stanley Cup and actually uh he was on a couple, right? So Yeah, uh, three. Yeah, he yeah three. So. Yeah. So no no no. I, 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 I recognize <laughs> the same thing in Carrie Price that that, you know, uh, you know, again, you know, he carry price like Henrik. Uh, you know, I mean, last season's Canadians team probably had no business being in that Stanley Cup final other than for Carey Price. But no, he, he did not win that one. So it's it's the same kind of hole in his career. Yeah. And the yeah. the
1: flip side of that argument is, you know, would Raymond Bork have been any less of a defenseman if he hadn't gone to Colorado and won a cup at the
2: end of his career? Um, um, yeah. You know? I, you know what I I I I would argue just that goalies I sort of like quarterbacks in the NFL are just graded a little bit differently. Uh, backstopping a team to a Stanley Cup just it, it does give you a little extra as a goalie. Like for instance in Rangers lore, you know, would you take Mike Richter or would you take Henrik Lundqvist? Because you know, I, you could make arguments for either one on their technical abilities, on on their, you know, on how competitive they were, on on how athletic they were. You could you could make the argument for Richter, or you could make the argument for Lundquist, and most people fall on the side of Mike Richter because he won in ninety four.
0: Yep, yep. It's that's that's uh, it, it is the people they weigh. They weigh championships a lot. Um, hey, we're going to let you get going. Thank you so much as always. We love having you on. Um, uh, Andrew Gross, uh, make sure to always check out his work, uh, mostly with the Islanders. Again, Friday night, uh, he was covering the retirement uh, number for Henrik Lundqvist. And for Andrew Gross, for Dave Marlinary, I'm Tom Reed, and we will be back with you next week on the 66 to 87 podcast.